Good morning. Happy New Year. The purple is out. The first candle is lit. And that means it's Advent. And Advent marks the beginning of the church's new year. So we start again to tell the story of Jesus Christ from beginning to end. Advent is a season of anticipation. It's a season of waiting, which is really not something that we are all that great at as a culture, as individuals. We begin to tell the story by remembering that we are waiting for the second coming of Christ. And then in the weeks between now and Christmas, we sort of drop our gaze to the first coming of Christ. But, and maybe it's just because we live in materialistic America, or maybe it's just because we're human, but at least in practice, at least in practice, Advent tends to not be, or it tends to be the season of waiting not so much for Christ, but for Christmas. Presence, right? This first Sunday of Advent means that we're just three shopping weeks away from Christmas Eve, and that means that everything is merry and bright, right? I mean, I've seen the Walmart commercials, so I know that the lights are up, and the kids are all smiling, and the gifts are beginning to pile up under the tree, and your ugly sweaters are laid out, and your inflatable snowman is bigger than your neighbor's inflatable Rudolph, and so you feel like singing carols and dancing through the streets as the snow falls serenely to the ground. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Right? Probably not right. There is extraordinary expectation and maybe even pressure to cover up the realities of our lives with a veneer of jingle bells and holiday cheer. And I acknowledge that escaping for a few minutes with a peppermint mocha and the silky voice of Andy Williams or Nat King Cole is a gift. But I think that Advent and the shopping season have become so intertwined that we have lost the meaning and the message of Advent. And I can prove it. This is an Advent calendar that I received in the mail this week. It is in the shape of Nakatomi Plaza. And most, I'm sure you will know that Nakatomi Plaza is from one of the great Christmas movies of all time, Die Hard. And, uh, and you can tell that it's getting close to Christmas, you count, because uh, Nakatomi Plaza was the, was the building that blew up, uh, and the lead terrorist, Hans Gruber, or maybe it's Franz Gruber, Hans or Franz, uh, is falling to his death. And, uh, and when he gets there, it's, it's Christmas. And I received this in the mail from Father Trent Moore. thought we'd helped him. 
Now, obviously, there's nothing wrong with a little fun, some nostalgic traditions, gift-giving, lights, eggnog, responsibly. But though they are simultaneous, the church, and by that I mean Christians, will benefit greatly from intentionally divorcing the holly-jolly secular season from Advent. Because if it's done right... Advent exposes everything that is hidden under the veneer. Advent puts all the skunks on the table. Advent says everything is not okay. Happy New Year. Actually, the church New Year does not start off happy, and that is because Advent is a season of honest diagnosis. Honest diagnosis, which makes Isaiah 64 the perfect reading to kick off our new year. We are catching Isaiah in the middle of a prayer of lament. So the church's new year does not start with parties and kissing and confetti, but with lament and longing. And that might sound like a bummer, but actually I think it is a great gift Because God is saying through his word, I see you. I know that it's not all merry and bright. I don't expect it to be. I know what you're feeling. And the story of salvation picks up right where you are. Right where you are. And so Isaiah is looking at the world around him and he essentially asks, where are you, God? What are you waiting for? On. Don't you see what's going on down here? The great prophet looks at the world around him, war and disease and dishonest leaders and oppression of his people, unfair economic practices. Things are just harder than they ought to be. And Isaiah knows this is not the way that it ought to be. They had been released from captivity in Babylon and were free to return to their native land. and They would rebuild the temple and rejoice in their freedom. But then many actually chose to just stay in Babylon. So that was disappointing. And those that did come back found the land was overrun with people who were not going to go quietly. And then they couldn't agree on how to build the city wall or how to build the temple and God just didn't seem to be acting and many got impatient and started running off and worshiping other gods. And so with bitter disappointment, Isaiah cries out to the Lord with a prayer that may feel very familiar to some of us. Why don't you do something? Oh, he says, oh, that you would tear open the heavens And come down. Just tear through this place like a fire. So your adversaries would tremble at your presence. Like you used to do. Like our parents and grandparents used to tell us about. You ever feel like that? I mean like you you turn on the news and it challenges your faith. Too complicated Terrible wars, a carousel of violence 
on the home front, economic uncertainty, arguing legislators with more self-interest than answers. And you just sort of reflexively whisper this exasperated prayer, why would you let this happen? Wouldn't it be so much better if things were the way they used to be? I mean, granted, my parents prayed that same prayer and their parents before them. But wouldn't it just be so much better if you just came down and took care of business? Wouldn't you get glory for that? Wouldn't people believe in you then? What's taking you so long? I am so tired. If you know what I'm talking about, then Advent is your season. So Isaiah is calling for the Lord to come down and take care of business. But then he makes this really interesting move. And it's right there in the middle of your, the paragraph in your bulletin. Right in the middle, he turns the tables on us. And he, he makes this shift. His lament shifts. And he says the problem isn't so much out there as the problem is in here. He says, you were angry, but we sinned. You hid yourself, and we transgressed, and we have become unclean, and even our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. Now, that is a very tame translation for a very graphic image. And what he means is that even in the actions that we would consider good that we do, they are done not for the glory of God, but with a spirit of self-importance, self-congratulation, self-promotion. So in the busy routines of our lives, we just sort of drift away absentmindedly from the God who made us to love us. Sure, some might cheat on their taxes and cheat on their spouse, but even the good things we do are stained by self-interest. I sometimes think about the type of person that I thought I would surely be by now. I mean, 15, 20 years ago, did I imagine that I would still struggle with the things I struggle with? Definitely not. And I assumed that surely by now I would be patient and always kind, always on the ball, never at odds with my perfect family, and hangry would be a thing of the past. You can ask Amy how much of that has come to pass. Try as I may, and it is good to try, but try as I may, I am still a long way from who I want to be. And if you know what I'm talking about, Advent is your season. Because whatever problem we're talking about, whether it's out there or it's in here, it is a problem that we cannot solve. I've finally been reading Laura Hildebrand's great book, Unbroken, Many of you have read this or seen the movie. It's about an American serviceman in World War II named Louis Zamperini. And Zamperini was a a famous Olympian sprinter, but he went into the uh, service and and his bomber crashed over the Pacific. And it killed eight of the 11 crewmen. Louis and two of his mates were adrift at sea for six weeks. 
starving, fighting off sharks, baking under a relentless sun. One of them died in the life raft, and the remaining two were then found and captured by the Japanese and basically enslaved as prisoners of war for two years at various internment camps. And Louis, along with many others, was beaten over and over and starved within an inch of his life. He was powerless to fix his situation. Now, he could make the most of it. He could have the best attitude that he could. He and his fellow POWs could take little victories over the Japanese by by stealing rice balls or teaching the guards incorrect English. But he couldn't get out. He could not escape his condition until peace was won for him and help arrived from the outside. Now what is uh, one of the remarkable things about this book is how Zamperini always believed that help would come. Every day was lived, every beating was taken, every hunger pang was endured, every dignity was su- every indignity was suffered in the belief that the U.S. would win the war and help would someday come. And it did. And that's Advent. Things aren't right out there, and things aren't right in here. Lord, I can't fix it. Lord, won't you do something? The great German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote, The truest celebration of Advent is possible only to those who are troubled in soul, who know themselves to be poor and imperfect, and who look forward to something greater to come. Advent starts with lament and longing. In other words, Advent starts with the anticipation of God's answer to the human condition. Now, we know the answer because we did it last year and the year before that, right? But we don't rush ahead to the answer. In Advent, we sit in our need of the answer to come. The answer who came once incarnate in great vulnerability, wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The answer who came once to reconcile us to the Father by living the life that we should have lived and dying the death that we deserve to die uh, and rising to offer us life the eternal life that we were made for. The answer who will come again, but this time in great glory. Lo, he comes in clouds descending, once for our salvation slain, thousands, thousands, saints attending, swell the triumph of his train. The first time he came as a sweet baby, the second time he will come in power and great glory. The first time he came as Savior, the second time he will come as Judge. And that is our great hope. For on that last day, Christ our King will call all his children to himself, will release to hell all those who refuse his grace, and will set all wrongs to right. The American writer Tish Harrison Warren wrote that Advent is a space to breathe, a space to grieve, 
A space to cry out, come Lord Jesus. Or better yet, O come, O come, Emmanuel. So do your shopping. Go to your parties. But hold Advent in a different compartment in your heart and mind. Advent is a season of honest diagnosis. Advent is a season of waiting for the answer that is to come. And if you know what I'm talking about, Advent is your season. Amen.